Hello, everyone, and welcome into another edition of The Front Office, brought to you by Royal Farms, home of the world's greatest chicken and the area's best-tasting coffee. I'm Tony Lombardi, and today I'm joined by Brian McFarlane from Russell Street Report. Brian, how are you on this Wednesday afternoon? Good, Tony. It's a little cold out. I'm not happy about that, but otherwise, good. It's like the older we get, the less we like the cold. Yeah, no doubt about that. I had a very nice core temperature till. I don't know, until I hit my mid-40s and then it just disappeared. <laughs> I'm with you, brother. So, yeah, Florida sounds better and better every day. But Okay, so it's Valentine's Day, the holiday <laughs> rumored to be created by a woman who didn't get what she wanted on Christmas. So, <laughs> pitchers and catchers reported today for the Orioles. And this past Sunday, the 2023 season officially came to an end. And we have a repeat champion. It was a little painful to watch at times. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, and I, I it doesn't sound, it, it may sound like sour grapes and all that, but um, I still think we're a better team than the Chiefs uh, overall. Obviously, they're, they're more clutch than we are, I guess we'll say, maybe, but uh, and their uh, experience in big games, I think, uh, shown through in just about every game they played because this is the first time they've actually had to play on the road uh, during the playoffs. And they, uh, you know, they did fine in Buffalo and then obviously won here. So, yeah, um, that I think that made it worse um, just because I still feel like I mean, I know their defense is good, but I still feel like we gave them too many things in that game that um you know, gave the game away to them. Well, when you lose to the defending Super Bowl champions and you give the ball away three times and you get none in return, your chances of winning are probably pretty slim. Yeah, yeah no doubt. Yeah, no doubt. But, you know, looking at the game, it, it just – you you hit the nail on the head when you said that they're clutch because they are, and I don't think the Ravens have gotten to the point where they're clutch yet. And even Chris Jones, they're – all pro defensive tackle said the Ravens were the best team in the league. They just weren't the best team on that particular day. And that gets back to the old cliche on any given Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why you can, you know, I mean, well, you saw with the Patriots the year they were undefeated and, you know, everybody, you know, in December and early January, you know, this is our year, this is our year. And it felt like it, but you just, you know, you have one bad game, a player makes a great play like the, the David Tyree play against the uh, against New England that year, um, you know, clutch play here and there, ball bounces this way or that way. I mean, obviously you saw what happened. I mean, that punt hits the defender, the you know, blocker's leg. He's not in the wrong. He's not in the wrong place, really. He's doing his job, and it just catches his heel and bounces to where the returner can't get it, and you know, things like that happen, and it just t- changes the complexion of a game and. Uh, puts you know can can knock you out of the playoffs or in this case for that at least for San Francisco the Super Bowl you know the Super Bowl I'm old enough to remember this that the Super Bowl for the longest period of time I'm going to say a chunk of the 70s 80s and 90s there were a ton of games that were just not competitive at all and that hasn't been the case as of late they've been competitive games and, and this one went into overtime And during the overtime period, there were a new set of rules. And Kyle Shanahan has been heavily criticized because his team came out and said, and I know the Kyle Juszczyk was one of the guys that said that they were not aware of the new 
overtime rules until they looked up on the scoreboard and read them. And then <laughs> on the flip side, Andy Reid's team was very well prepared for these overtime rules. And so, so how did it play out? Well, Shanahan won the toss, wanted the football. And he got a lot of criticism for that. But And I even thought initially, Brian, that that was the wrong move. But the more I've thought about it, and I'm interested in your thoughts on it, I think that taking the ball is the better way to go, particularly if your defense was on the field last. And, you know, if you you have your first possession, you give it up to the other team, and they go in, and you don't say you don't score, but they go and score. Well, you should lose the game. But if you're tit for tat with each one of the scores, whether you get zero and they get zero, whether you get three and they get three, or whether you get seven and they get seven, the chances of a third possession are greater for the team that takes the ball first. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, the criticism I, I think is a little over the top. I can see sort of. I mean, I can see both sides. I mean, we could do a, we could probably do a whole podcast on this topic. To be honest with you, I, I could I can see both sides of the argument. Um, I don't think it's as black and white as a lot of people are making out. To be honest with you, I was just in the car and on the radio, they were going. Uh, uh, he who will remain nameless was going off on Shanahan for taking the ball. Um, I, I see both sides. I mean. I think the advantage of going second is you know what you need to do. You're you're not you don't you 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 can't settle. If you get the ball first, you can settle. And obviously, San Francisco got a field goal. If they're second and that field goal isn't enough, then they're going to go for it on fourth down. Their play calling might be different, things like that. So I can see the advantage of going second, knowing what you need to do. That said. That idea for the third possession. I know Kansas City came out and said they would go for two, which obviously, if they'd scored, would be a fly in the ointment. But the idea is, you know, if you go take it first and you score, all the pressure's on the other team, and they and you force them to go for fourth downs. And you know, so I and then you're right. If it does end up, if the if the if the second team does score and they don't go for two, then all you need is a field goal. Um, so I, I mean, I, I see, I can see the logic to both. I, I don't think it's, I, it's nowhere near as clear cut um, as a lot of the media have made it out to be. And I did see, and I don't remember who the reporter was, but it was one of the more analytics type reporters who said he had talked to several people in different teams, analytic departments, and they basically said the same thing. It is not as clear cut of a decision as the media is making it out. And, and as you said, and I, I don't remember exactly, but if San Francisco's D had been, you know, if you if they had just been on the field, you're giving them a break too. That's an intangible that, um, you know, that a lot of people don't, um, you know, factor into that. You know, there's certain things like that, and, and you know, the San Francisco's D had been on the field a lot, so giving them a little extra rest and getting them reset isn't a bad idea at all. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I, like I said, I can see it both ways and I, I'm certainly not one who wants to <laughs> defend Kyle Shanahan. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I definitely think it's, it, it's, um, I, I don't know. I, and, and obviously it's a new situation. We've, we've, this is the first time we've ever faced this. So there's no way to quantify whether if you take the ball for, you know, over, you know, 10 years of history, you take the ball first and this is what happens then you can kind of quantify with numbers better, but this was a totally unique situation. So I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of 
I think it's kind of crazy that the criticism has come out so hard and probably because they lost. If they've won, you know, if they stop, if they stop Kansas City, you know, then this isn't even a conversation. Brian, prior to the Super Bowl, a disturbing situation or a potentially disturbing situation arose regarding Zay Flowers. Now, you know, the Ravens have struggled to find productive rookie wide receivers throughout their entire history, really, particularly in the first year, like Zay Flowers. And he's a guy that obviously has a, a low potential, and, and I think that they've basically just scratched that potential so far. But there is a domestic violence situation with Zay Flowers, and, and we're hearing conflicting stories on, you know, I've been told that the Ravens don't seem to be particularly concerned by people that are close to the situation because, and I'm drawing my own conclusions here. Let's make it clear. No one's told me this, this here that the Ravens aren't particularly concerned. My speculation hearing that is that either there's not enough evidence, there isn't any evidence or the person who's making the accusations has questionable credibility. And from what I've heard, this girl who, if this is the girl that's in question and she's the one that was with Zay Flowers in the green room during the draft, her name is Ruby Antonioli. She's from Acton, Massachusetts, went to Boston College, where I'm assuming that's where she met Zay, that given her financial situation and, and questionable credibility, because we've seen some video of her doing some crazy things on Twitter that they might have a difficult time building a case. I'm also hearing from other people that are connected to law enforcement that there is a case here. So we're left to wait. Now, as we wait, Brian, you could look at the waiting as one of two things. There's no case and the accusatory person's trying to make a case or there is a case and law enforcement's making sure they have all their ducks in a line. What's, what's your read on, on this in terms of things that you've heard? Yeah, I mean, I think that last part is probably what's going on here. Whether, uh, you know, that, that often investigations don't, you know, it's not like, because it, it's, it's not always black and white. All the evidence is right here. Here it is a law enforcement, uh, you know, district attorney make the decision. They're going to have to interview people. They're going to have to do, probably it's too late given the timing to do anything forensically. But, um, you know, there's an allegation of a potential gun involved. Does somebody, does the, uh, I don't think that person's been named from what, from the article I saw, but, uh, you know, is that, does that person have a license for a gun? You know, those kinds of things. So, uh, it doesn't surprise me that this is has taken the time it, and it and it may take a couple more months to be honest with you. So um, and you know for the Ravens' perspective, um, you know obviously they've been here, done that. They don't want to say anything too soon, uh, given the way the Ray Rice thing came back and blew up in their face. Um, and you know honestly, there's as you said, I, I mean that now the other the charges may never be brought. That said, that doesn't stop the NFL um, from doing their own investigation. And um, even if charges are never brought, the NFL could still suspend. And they've certainly done that in the past. So 
um, even if, you know, for future reference, even if even if the, you know, if the police or the DA comes out and says we're not pressing charges, we just because remember, they're looking at proving things beyond a reasonable doubt in a criminal case. And there can be a lot of smoke. But if they don't feel like they can prove it beyond a reasonable doubt, they're not going to bring the case. And that doesn't mean the person is innocent either. And I, I'm not I'm not saying that's the case with Zay Flowers. That's just a, a general statement. Um, so that's why these investigations take a while, because they have to accumulate the evidence and then determine whether it's going to be uh, something that they feel they can uh, pursue because they've got a, an airtight, quote unquote, case. So uh, but again, the NFL doesn't have they don't have to meet that burden. They don't have to meet that standard. Um, so I would. I would, you know, I hate to say it, uh, but unless there, unless this is truly just totally made up, and I'm not saying that's the case either, uh, my guess is Flowers is going to be suspended at some point. Um, unless, like I said, there's just no evidence of anything. Um, honestly, even if she recanted at some point, um, if there's still evidence there, the NFL still still might, you know, suspend. So I, I, I think there's a good chance whether it's a game or two, or God forbid worse, um, you know, I mean, God forbid from a Ravens fan standpoint, I don't mean God forbid for, you know, because if it's true, it's true. Uh, but from a suspension standpoint, uh, I have a feeling there's a pretty good chance one way or another he's going to be suspended. So let's assume the worst here, Brian, for a second. And let's let's look at the cap impact. If this, if this thing goes completely sideways and Steve Bishotti's left with sticking with his zero tolerance policy and he enforces it and they let Zay go. What's the cap hit? Yeah. So this is where uh, the timing always works out poorly for teams. So Flowers signed a four year, fully guaranteed $14 million contract. Um, all first round picks get fully guaranteed contracts. Um if a player is suspended, those um, those guarantee any future guarantees void. So his next three years of base salary would void. His roster bonuses would void. Um, so the only thing left would be his bonus prorations, uh, and, and so that would make a big difference. The thing is, if it is announced that he's being charged, the NFL isn't. They generally let the, before they do any suspensions, they let everything play out. And that's where it becomes difficult for a team, and especially a team that has, has you know, expressed a zero tolerance. Uh, you know, uh, if, if, if he's I mean, uh, let's face it, if Zay Flowers is is uh, undrafted rookie free agent, he's probably already been released um, yeah. because there's no there's no cap cap implications. But when you're talking about, I mean, at this point, you're talking about, you know, 11 million in debt, almost 11 and a half million in dead money right now that would have to be dealt with if he's released before being suspended. If 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 they wait till he's suspended and then and the NFL does suspend, then it's more like um, it's like five point five or something like that. So, I mean, you're talking about a a good $6 million difference, give or take. So that's where, um, you know, that's where uh, the timing will not work out. Well, uh, probably if this, if this comes to fruition and he is charged, 
the timing is not going to work out for the Ravens very well. It's going to put them in a real bind. You know, they can say they believe he's innocent and or they're just going to let the, you know, they're going to let the, uh, you know, the judicial process play out and the NFL suspension process play out. Um, But that's where when you have a zero tolerance, you know, you're playing that, you know, and if he does turn out to be, you know, convicted down the road and you've let him play, then it's going to look pretty bad. So Ravens already have a, a tight cap situation and this could only complicate matters worse if it goes the way the Ravens don't want it to go. But I guess time will tell how it will go, but there still are plenty of Ravens free agents right now. And how many, I think I heard somewhere, Brian, that they have the third highest total in the league. Um, I actually haven't looked at those numbers. I know there was a comparison of the playoff teams, and most of them were in the same range with 20 to 25 or so uh, free agents. Now, obviously, there's there's free agents and free agents. You know, uh, uh, there you know some are obviously some teams are going to be way more important than other teams. Um, you know, if I we just look at you look at the Ravens list and you know, some guys you're like, hey, if they leave, they leave, and other guys you're like, Oh gosh, I really hope he's back. Right. And there are some guys who they don't make a decision on for a while, they wait until after the draft. If those positions aren't satisfied through draft picks, they might come back and entertain contracts with these guys after the fact, you know, and maybe the, the fact that they've been out there a little bit longer gives the teams a little bit more, more leverage with that free agent. And we've seen that happen with the Ravens in the past. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's that second wave of free eight. Well, I guess technically probably the third, the first wave of free agency is the first week and of free agency. And then it kind of calms down the second week. And then it picks up a little after that leading up to the draft because teams are, okay, I got too many holes. I got to put, get somebody in here. And then after the draft, as you said, based on how the draft play out plays out and if teams didn't get the guy they wanted or, you know, they got a seventh round pick in a spot that they need, they need a veteran and they needed a first round pick at, then, you know, maybe they're going out and getting that veteran. So that's kind of the third wave of free agency. Okay. So some, some players will stay and the Ravens don't mind uh, and some will go and the Ravens won't mind if some of those go, but then there's those in-betweeners that we just talked about. And then there are the big names, the big names that fans don't want to see go but the Ravens, given that they were in the AFC championship game, had a 13 and four season played for a successful team. Those players are coveted who in your mind of the three of the free agents, the Ravens have who in your mind are those three guys that at this point in time, it doesn't appear that they're going to be with the Ravens and they're almost locks to leave for greener pastures. Yeah, I mean, so I think two of the two are pretty easy because uh, I do expect that they will franchise tag Matabike, so that takes him right off the top of the list. Um, but the next, the next two probably uh, on the list are um, uh, are Gino Stone and Patrick Queen. I think they both. Uh, I obviously with the with the drafting of Trenton Simpson. It seems like the Ravens were already ready, already preparing for that with Queen. Um, and with Stone, I mean, he obviously made himself a lot of money, but if if the Raven, and they obviously played a lot of three safeties, which will be a difference next year. Uh, um, but 
uh, you know, the fingers crossed that we get the, you know, a full season of true Marcus Williams next year uh, at safety, along with Kyle Hamilton. Um, they'll they'll use, uh, you know, they'll they'll find somebody else to kind of play, you know, partially or however they want to do it. But I mean, if we get a full again, fingers crossed, a full uh, season, healthy season out of Marcus Williams, uh, I think that will make a, a big difference in the back end. Um and help, you know, um, uh, mitigate the loss of, of Stone. But I think those two are, are easily the top two just because they've probably priced themselves out of Baltimore. Um, I, 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 uh, the next kind of big free agent in my brain, uh, so to speak, is Kevin Zeitler. Uh, I'm fingers crossed he will be back. So he doesn't, I guess, fit into your criteria as much. So the other and I guess then you get to the, the other two or, or two are uh, combined to for that third spot would be the edge rushers, be a Clowney uh, and Van Noy. I think Clowney, um, uh, he took up a, a sweetheart deal. Uh, you know, Van Noy took a deal he had to take um, because obviously we're in the season, uh, but Clowney took a sweetheart out of a deal and, and had put up career numbers. My guess is that will take him, uh, price him out of Baltimore. Somebody's going to give him, more than what the Ravens will want to. So uh, if you if you're saying there's if you're asking for three, then I think it's it's uh, it's Queen Stone and and uh, and Clowning. And with Stone, he's a guy that what a couple a year and a half ago that he wasn't even on the team. I think he was with Tennessee for a cup of coffee, then came back to Baltimore and and just grew into that position. You know, there's we tend to think of players as being static sometimes, but you look at guys like stone, here's a guy who's the arc of his career. It really accelerated and it, he got better and he was a, a good fit for the Ravens defense for Mike McDonald's style for the Ravens style and, and was productive, but you, you kind of knew all along. And these are the kinds of guys the Ravens seem to do a good job of getting in the fifth and sixth rounds during the draft, you know, guys that like a Chuck Clark, you know, a heady player, who is productive, not an all-star, uh, Geno Stone, a guy who was cut, came back and started playing well. He's get, kind of a, got that center fielder mentality. But like you said, Brian, he's he's been productive enough where he's priced himself off the team. Yeah, and he he actually was his rookie year. The Ravens cut him, uh, tried to get him on the practice squad. It was uh, actually Houston that picked him up. Houston. And then for some reason – Houston didn't even tender him as a as an exclusive rights free agent, which cost them nothing. So he must have looked awful. I mean, he must have thought he was awful. Right. And then the Ravens re-signed him that that after after his uh, rookie year, re-signed him, and obviously he's been here the last three years. And as you said, his his role has increased each year, and and you know it's increased because of he's as he's played so well. This is the front office brought to you by Royal Farms, home of the world's greatest chicken. Get a kick out of this eight-piece chicken mix, two breasts, two wings, two thighs, two drumsticks, now for just $12 at Royal Farms. Royal Farms, real fresh, real fast. Now, Brian, where are the Ravens cap-wise today for 2024 based upon the estimated total cap of $245 million? Yeah, so as we sit here today, and there are going to be some more, there's some more unknowns we have um, to 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 factor in, but right now they're about eight point eight million dollars under the cap. 
Now, we still don't know the exact amount of um, the incentives adjustment. Uh, I, I'm anticipating that's going to be around $4 million. Um, so that takes that 8.8 right down to 4.8. Um, and then there's going to be some other little minor things. Uh, there's some exclusive rights for agents, things like that. So with no moves between now and then, and again, just estimating that uh, that incentives adjustment, uh, I'm you know they their starting point for the off season, so to speak, is going to be about three point six uh, in in available cap space, and that's once we factor all these in. Now that may go up up or down a little bit once we get the final numbers. And again, we're just we're basing this on a two hundred forty five million dollar cap. Um, it hopefully won't be lower than that. Um, some are using 242, some are using 250. So, um, you know, 240, uh, 245 is, is a 20, you know, a little over $20 million increase, um, which is what last year's was in that range. So, uh, so hopefully fingers crossed, it doesn't come in any lower than 245. And granted it's going to affect all teams, but when you got a tight cap, it makes it worse. When do they officially announce that number? I would think it's sometime before the new league year, right? Yeah, um, it depends because usually we usually we don't hear those kind of numbers till March. But last year, the actual cap was announced the 30th of January. Um, I'm not really sure why it was so early. That was out of the ordinary. I was kind of hoping that was going to be the uh, uh, the new way, but now obviously we didn't. So, but it, I, it's one of those things. It it just. Uh, it, any given day, all of a sudden, the announcement comes out. Here's the cap. Uh, it's whenever the league sends the, I mean, the league and the um, and the players association have to kind of get together on some smoothing of numbers here and there, and then the league sends a memo to all the teams, and obviously PA sends it to agents, and from and then obviously the media puts it out. But uh, so I mean, it could be ten minutes from now, it could be ten days from now. Well, I read where in in some sort of business article it was uh, i can't think of the name of the business uh the publication but they mentioned that this was prior to the super bowl that taylor swift her involvement with the kansas city chiefs has boosted revenue by 331 million dollars <laughs> and they they gave some rationale behind that number so Maybe Taylor Swift alone can drive this cap up, Ryan, to about two hundred fifty-five million dollars. Well, that sounds good. Um, I don't know if that I don't know if that will have an effect till next year's cap, but um, but yeah, um, but hey, whatever. Any little bit helps for the Ravens, that's for sure. Now we've heard you've heard these rumors. I've heard these rumors. Wild trade rumors or scenarios: <laughs> the Ravens making a move for Khalil Mack or a tag and trade for Brian Burns a move to get a disgruntled wide receiver like a Brandon Ayuk. The NFL isn't fantasy football, agreed? Correct. Yes, so, 100% correct. 1,000% correct. Do you think in the wildest dreams that those things can happen for the Ravens? Um, I I don't think so. I mean, they would have to. I mean, obviously, if, if they don't, if they were not to tag Matabike for whatever reason, if they got him – signed to a long-term contract before tagging him or at least before the league year there might be a little wiggle room to go outside but i they're they're not um you know they're, they're they've they've made some trades but let's face it they've they kind of make trades they win 
giving up a first round pick is not necessarily a winning trade. Um, the Brian Burns one I thought was kind of hilarious because uh, Carolina was offered two first round picks by the Rams uh, last year and they refused it. So why would they accept anything less now um, in a tag and trade? And, and we've talked about it before. Tag and there's been what two tag and trades over the history of the of the franchise tag or maybe three. Uh, and they usually and they end up for way less than the two first round picks. Um, so I, I find that I mean, granted, there's never been a quarterback. And obviously, I think we discussed this last year when the Lamar situation was up in the air. But so that might have been different. But, um, yeah, I don't I don't from both sides. I don't see Carolina thinking anything less than two firsts. Uh, and I, obviously, I don't given how they handled it in midseason last year when they were going nowhere. Um, I, I think clearly they want, they expect to hold on to him now, you know, could they, uh, you know, a guy like Khalil Mack, you know, they've, they've certainly done that with aging guys, you know, Calais Campbell, uh, well, Peters wasn't really aging, nor was Roquan, but, you know, where they threw some, you know, decent, uh, draft compensation, certainly in Roquan's case, but that, those were midseason traits too. I, I find it, I mean, with a tight cap. Um, with Lamar's contract going to go up and up, I, I I would be surprised that they're going to trade anything as far as a premium pick goes, whether you consider that first three rounds or just first two. Um, yeah, I, I unless it is a bona fide superstar that they can get for cheap, because again, I don't see them giving up a first. Uh, I yeah, a lot of those I, I kind of look at and I just scoff. The four point eight million dollar number that looks like it currently with the Ravens are under the cap based upon it being a $245 million cap. That isn't enough to work to get the season going. You, you got to get more than that because of injuries. And, and let's face it, you got to get a competitive 53 man roster. You've got the, the roster needs to have it's, it's a practice squad guys and, and all those kinds of things. So given that 4.8 million. And I know that's just an estimate at this time because we're working with information that is speculative. So at the time, but given that 4.8 million, how much more do you think that the Ravens need to create? How much more cap space do they need to create in order to have that rainy day fund for injuries in order to do the types of player movement, player acquisitions that they've done in the past, not these big splash play uh, moves, but just to kind of do the kinds of things that they've done in the past. And then to re-sign guys like Kevin Zeitler that you mentioned earlier. Yeah. So um, your future expenses, so that's your draft picks, your practice squad, your practice squad elevations, uh, understanding that you you have fifty three men for fifty three men on your roster, that's two more than the role of fifty one. So that's adding two players, and then you're going to have guys on IR, and you're going to uh, you know when you start the season are already on IR, and they're going to they are go going to count against the cap, and then you're going to have um, guys who get hurt in September, October, November, and so forth. So you got to have that rainy day fund. So the rainy day fund. So all of those expenses are going to be in probably in the 14 to 16 million range right now, right there. So that's money you're going to need from 
May on, uh, you know, or they once the draft is over. And obviously that's leaving aside any free agents. So so there's 15 there. And then the other question is, you know, are they going to you know, will they have to tag Matabike? And that's going to be 20 million. So right there, you're looking at, you know, you're looking at 35 million that they would need on top of what they will, you know, the three to four, uh, you know, to five that they will have. Um, you know, they presently, we expect them to go into the season or go into the, um, the uh, new league year with. Uh, and so, I mean, so that, so, you know, they're going to have to make 35 million at least, maybe more. Um, and that's where, and again, if they, if they can get Matabike signed a long-term deal, you don't need 20 for him. You need probably eight for him for the first year test. Uh, which is obviously helpful. If you've already made the 20 and you get it done, well, then you've got that space you can spend outside. Um, but yeah, so I mean, they, they've got a lot of work to do. You, in a recent article on Russell Street Report, put together this really cool chart and talks about the current... Con you, you identified several key players, their contract status, if they were released or traded pre-June 1 and then post-June 1. And... You know, when I look at that chart, Brian, you there one name that just jumps off at the page before we start even talking about restructures is Tyus Bowser. Now, from what you're hearing, I know from what I'm hearing, there doesn't seem to be any way in hell that he's returning to the Ravens next year. Yeah, I mean that that whole mystery of his injury, um, you know what it was, and there, um, you know, there seemed to be in Harbaugh's responses often of frustration. And I'm not sure that was frustration having to answer the question again or frustration with the situation, but there definitely seemed to be a disconnect there. I mean, at this point he's played nine regular season games out of a possible 34 over the last two years. Um, and it's a nice 5.5 million in cap savings is a nice chunk of change. You don't want to have to release five players to get five million dollars. You want to be able to because you have to replace them. So you, you're you know there's an offset cost there. Um, so if you get one guy or two guys with with um, you know they can get they get you a sizable chunk of change. That's where you're going to look. And I think Bowser. So I think Bowser uh, of all the offseason decisions, I think that's probably the, at least especially the ones to create cap space. I think that's the easiest one. So. Barring him taking a, a, a serious pay cut, um, I, I think he's gone for sure. Yeah, and to put that $5.5 in, into perspective, I don't think that Clowney and Van Noy combined amounted to $5.5 million in cap space. No, this past season, no. No, I think they both will this coming season, but because of, of their performance. But, yeah, but so, yeah, no, there's no question about that, that five point five. Uh, is is right off the top. I mean, that's the first place you look when you look at that chart. Now, you've come up with candidates for restructures based on what you define as simple restructures, and and those are ones that don't include added adding void years, which you point out in the article, and that that and those void years produce even more cap savings. But you've come up with seven players putting those void years uh, options aside seven players that could be restructured candidates. And I, I want to talk about those seven players and I, I want to look at them from the perspective of the likelihood for a restructure, like 0%, 0.5%, 0.5%, 0.5%, 0.5%, 0.5%, 0.5%, 0.5%, 0.5%, 0.5%, 0.5%, 0.5%, 0.5%, 0.5%, 0
and 100% and the pros and cons of each of these restructures. Let's just go right down your list, Brian. And it begins with Lamar Jackson. I think that's a hundred percent. It's $11 million. He's in his second year of his contract. Um, It does put more dead money into the future, but his contract, uh, you know, they can spread the, the, the the, uh, restructure bonus will be spread out over the five years, which is how you get the 11 um actually you know what i think it's 11.1 i think i need to fix that but anyway (laughs) um so um but that's you know he's going to get he's going to get extended again in the future probably which will you know lessen any of that pain so and this is what happens with quarterback contracts they're constantly restructured so i think that i and and again it's 11 million dollars so it's a nice chunk of change there you take that you know take that and bowser and you're almost at the 20 you would need from metabike Marlon Humphrey is a tricky situation. You know, he's not that old. He's not at a point where you start to say, "Eh, I don't know if he should play corner in the league anymore. But he's coming off a couple of seasons where he's been nicked up. And let's just be honest here. He's not played to the level of his contract. You've got him identified as a restructured candidate. What's the percentage that he gets done? Yeah, I mean, I listed these guys because this is the – these are the only ones they can get any kind of substantial money from, from restructuring. So yeah. that's why they're listed there. Uh, yeah, I would say, um, I, I actually, I'd say Humphrey's somewhere between 25 and 50. Um, I, I, he's more of a last resort kind of situation. Um, I don't think he's going anywhere this year. I don't think he's taking a pay cut as it's, as there's been some talk about. Um, it costs too much to release him. And when you're trying to get a player to take a pay cut, um, the way you do that is by saying, if you don't, if you don't take the pay cut, we're going to cut you and you're not going to make this elsewhere. Well, the dead money for cutting him is way too much. Um, so I don't see him going anywhere. And I, yeah, I mean, I'll probably go to 25% with him if we're going to stick with those, uh, those four, uh, I don't, yeah, I don't think that's, uh, I don't think it's likely, but if they have to go to the well, if they're going to go all in, he might be a guy, you know, in September or October as the trade deadline approaches. Maybe they do it then because it would be, you know, half of that number uh, because they've already played halfway into the season. Uh, but if they need a couple extra bucks to acquire somebody, uh, that might be a different situation. So it wouldn't be the whole close to eight. It would be more like four. Now, that dead money gives Marlin more of a negotiating leverage than it does the Ravens, correct? Oh yes, because you, they, he he and his agent know that they're you know we're going to cut you if you don't take a pay cut. You know they they can call the bluff pretty easily because the agent can look at that dead money and say there's no way in hell they're cutting you. Right, so that, that makes it more difficult because I know fans have been clamoring for the Ravens to go to Marlon Humphrey and say we're not going to cut you, you're just going to take a pay cut. That's easier uh, said than done. Yeah, yeah. Players rarely take pay cuts. Rarely. I mean, people talk about people used to think restructures were pay cuts. They're not. Um, The salary goes down, but because it's replaced by exact number of a bonus. So, um, yeah, that I I don't I think that's a non-starter from the beginning. Uh, Out of the goodness of his heart, if he agrees for some reason, hey, I'll I'll be happy to say I'm wrong. But I, I don't see that happening. Ronnie Stanley is a player who. Similar situation, you know, he's been nicked up. Eric DaCosta during the end of the season presser talked about how those injuries have 
hampered Ronnie's productivity and his ability to get back to the level of play that he's had when they signed him to that deal. And, you know, reading between the lines with Eric's comments, one of the things that he said that kind of stuck with me was that if Ronnie gets back into the kind of shape that we think he can get in, and I'm paraphrasing what he said, but he sort of left the door open with his future, like almost put the onus on Ronnie to take care of these injuries, get back into good football shape, or we might have another solution. Yeah, I mean, in in this article, Stanley's in kind of all three of the categories. Um, his situation is different from uh, Humphreys because the while it's still a lot of dead money, it's not the same. Um, so a pay cut would be because the Stanley is due fifteen million between bonus and salary this year, uh, in so fifteen million in cash this year. Um, the Ravens can go to him and say you know, we're going to cut you and nobody is going to give you 15 million in cash and and bonus money this coming year. And I think that's pretty fair. I don't think that's going to happen. Nobody's going to give him a one year, $15 million. Or if they give him a long, if they gave him a three-year deal, he's not going to make 15 million in cash uh, in 2024. So that's where I think, you know, that's where you can draw the distinction with Humphrey. So I, I think that's one avenue that they may pursue. And, you know, so, um, you know, if they can get him to reduce things, they'll put, they'll put incentives in. Sorry about my dog there. Um, they'll put, they, you know, they may put incentives in, um, they will allow him to make it back, but if they can get a, you know, a $5 million pay cut, is that enough? I, you know, they know where that line is better than you know, we do from the outside. Uh, could they get seven or eight where, you know, they can make the incentives work that he can earn them pretty easily, but they'll count to or towards the cap next year. So it just puts it off for a year. Um, my guess is that they got seven or eight from him, you know, a reduction. They'd be happy, more than happy with that um, because, you know, he's uh, the, there's no heir apparent on the roster right now for one. I don't, you know, as, as, as versatile as Macari is, I don't know if you want him um I don't know if you want him starting 17 games at left tackle. Um, so that's that's one of their their difficult situations is, I mean, if they had a true left tackle in waiting, I think this would be a no-brainer that he's got to either take a serious pay cut or he's gone. So restructuring him, can can uh, if it's just a straight restructure, which they've already done a couple times, I certainly don't think they will do this. So uh, on this list, I think he's a zero for a restructure. He's just there because of the numbers. Um, but, you know, um, that that could create almost $7 million. But, again, if, you, you know, you're running the risk that next year, that's putting a lot of money on the cap next year um, That for a player that at that point won't be here. And then there's the cut. You know, should he be cut? Uh, if he is cut um, prior to June 1, without a, a post-June 1, um designation i think it's a little under seven million in cap savings um the probably the more likely if they do move on from him uh is it would be they would use a post june one designation which would mean 15 million in savings uh now that wouldn't be available from a cap perspective until june 2nd after june 1st uh but as i mentioned earlier that kind of coincides perfectly with the number needed to sign draft picks uh, practice squad, all your future expenses. 
So they could spend, you know, the cap and have one dollar left <laughs> on June second, and then they would have fifteen million and one dollars, and that would be enough to carry them for that point. So that would seemingly, um, if they are going to cut him, that would seemingly be the route to go. Now there is one trigger involved in that um which will tell us whether they're keeping him or not and that is of the 15 million he's owed this year it's 11 million in salary and 4 million in a roster bonus that is due the fifth day of the league year which would be march 18th so if he's on the team on on at four o'clock on march 18th then he's staying because once they pay that bonus that's just that's less cap savings they would get if they cut him later um if they are going to cut him um, so they really, you know, it, it, I know you say you mentioned and I, I hear what you're saying about DaCosta saying that, you know, he needs to get himself in shape and all of that. But they are not going to know that till after well after they've given him that four million dollars. So uh, my guess is something's going to happen one way or another, something, whether it's a pay cut, a restructure, which, again, I don't think will happen or a release that's going to have to happen before uh, March 18th. So. Um, that's one thing that we that won't. I don't think will linger. Ronnie is a different kind of guy, and he's been he's been that way most of his career. And I wouldn't be shocked, Brian, if the Ravens try to play hardball and say you you need to take a pay cut for all the reasons you mentioned that no one's going to give him that fifteen million dollars in the open market. We think you're worth seven or eight million dollars. You're going to take a pay cut. And he has a familiarity with the organization. He knows what's expected of him with the Ravens. Maybe that makes him want to stay around and take the pickup. But then again, because he is somewhat mercurial, he's he's a guy that I could see them him saying, you know what, if that's going to be your number, I'm going to retire. What happens then? Well, it would be the same thing. They would they would still release him. Um, if he retires, they would obviously before the 18th, which he won't do, <laughs> um, because right. Right. He, you know he's going to he's not he's going to let that date slip by. If it, hopefully it wouldn't slip by, but if it ever slipped by, the Ravens wouldn't owe it. And then he'd force them to cut him. Um, and once they cut him, uh, he goes out on the even if he's going to retire or not. He you know somebody call he can say, well, I'm going to retire. When somebody calls after the 18th, he might change his mind. Staying with the theme of players not performing to the level of their contract, let's talk about Marcus Williams. What's the situation with him? What kind of savings could the Ravens generate with a restructure for Marcus? Is it worth it given his level of play so far? I know he's been nicked up. Is it worth it? And, you know, what what other options do they have with Marcus? Yeah, um, he so a restructure for him would be about seven point two million dollars. It's a little under that uh, in cap savings. I think that is probably a seventy five percent chance of happening. Um, I, I know his his performance is it's been injuries. He was never injured before being here, which is one of those you know. Certainly this year it seemed uh, once they got rid of the old training staff it seems like uh or the strength training class uh, uh group it seems like they did much better this year uh, unfortunately for marcus he did not he did not escape the injury bug um but um i think that's one i think there's a high chance because of, again because of the seven almost 7.2 it's it's a big number uh you know as i mentioned you're talking to 35 so they got to find ways to get there especially again if they have to tag not so 
Um, I think that one is high probability. I did not put him on the um, that cut chart because he does have a, um, I think it's about five million or six million of his base salary is fully guaranteed. Um, so they're not cutting him because they got they'd still have to pay him that amount, and it will cost them way more to cut him than keep him. So I, I you know, that's not going to happen. Um, and, and way more compared to uh, some of the guys I mentioned there. They're, uh, I think Marlin is, is a little more if they cut him, um, but and that which I don't think is going to happen either. But um, but a lot of people talked about that, so I put him on the list. But there's no way they're getting – there's no way Williams is getting cut. And I do think because of that 7.2, and they haven't restructured him before, uh, I think that's – I think there's a good chance of 75 – I'll put that in 75% that, that's, that he is a restructure, a high restructure candidate. The next three candidates for restructure that you have are guys that are pretty much locks to be on the team. They're still performing well, and they would seem to be no-brainers unless I'm missing something. And and those three guys are Mark Andrews, Roquan Smith, and Justin Tucker. Yeah, I mean, I think Tucker's easy because it's not it's not going to change him that much. It's one point seven, so it's not a huge difference. Uh, it's not a huge uh, amount, but uh, it's also not a huge amount pushing it into into the future. Um, he did not have as good of years in past, but I don't I don't have any concerns about him filling out, you know, finishing out his contracts. And I don't think they do. So that that shouldn't be an issue. Um, Roquan, I think, is easy. That's about three point six, three point six, six. Again, you know, early in the contract, they've not restructured him yet. Um, so, um, you know, that's somebody I think I could see. Andrews is about 4.9. I think that one's a lip. So, so yeah, so Tucker, I don't know that they'll go that far if they don't, they, if they don't need to. So I'll put Tucker at 50% just because they may not need to. Uh, Roquan, I think is probably a 75%, maybe a hundred. Um, just because again, it's early in the contract. He's young. Um, uh, he's probably gonna get another contract here so they can spread that money out. Um, uh, Andrews, I'm going to, um, I'll say 50, but I think it's probably more like 25. Uh, they did restructure him last year and I can't remember if that's the second time, um, obviously coming off of injury and you always have, you know, you pause a little, um, with that case, um, he's getting towards the end of his contract. Um, so you can't, that means when you're, you know, we're pushing it out, you're just pushing more on to. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, his contract only goes through 25. So, um, that means his cap number goes up more substantially in 25, which makes it harder if, if they have to move on for, from him next year. So, uh, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but that's just the, you know, the, they got to think about it that way to an extent. So I'll put him, I'm going to say 25 on him, maybe 50. Uh, that may be one, like I said, with, with Humphrey that comes later. Um, because Humphrey is kind of in the same boat. Well, Humphrey's signed through 26, so that makes it a little easier. Um, but I'll go, yeah, I'll go 25 on Andrews. But again, if they have to, you know, I mean, we saw last year they they went out of their um uh, you know, went away from character and used void years and really, you know, really, really went all in. Um so, uh, you know, would, would might they do that again? Uh, and if they do, then all these guys are getting restructured. Yeah, I mean, if, if you add it all up, too, those those seven guys, that's $43.3 Then if you add in the cut of Tyus Bowser, 
that takes it up to 48.8 and you're getting you've got more than your 35 million that you need if in fact they're going to tag Matabike. Yeah, and then you've got, you know, then you've got money to go out on the market and you know, and there's probably some other guys uh well Beckham probably is getting cut. Um that's not much, but you know, we, Patrick Ricard that's a possibility. Um, you know, uh, you and Jeff and I talked about some of these last week, but uh, you know, Morgan Moses now, if 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 uh Stanley stays, Moses could go. If if Stanley goes, I don't think they'll they'll release both tackles, but uh there's some more cap space as well. So um and then there might be some other guys that have to take pay cuts to stay. Ricard might be a good candidate to extend, which would uh reduce that four million um and may you know and keep him around because obviously the market for fullbacks isn't very robust these days. You're listening to the front office brought to you by Royal Farms, home of the world's greatest chicken. And once again, they are offering an eight piece mix that includes two breasts, two thighs, two wings, two drumsticks for just $12. Royal Farms, real fresh, real fast. Brian, you wanted to talk about some important off-season dates, and I know there's one coming up this Monday, February 19th. Explain why that one's an important date. Yeah, so with the players that have void years in their deals, um, those those void years or those, I, I should say, rephrase that, those contracts void as of next Monday, the 19th, I believe it'd be four o'clock on the 19th. So, um, and the extent of that is, I'm going to try to put this in numbers just to explain it a little, but if the Ravens had signed, and these are nice round numbers for my, my math purposes, but if the Ravens had signed a guy last year and they agreed that the guy deserves $6 million, but that was going to be too, uh, too prohibitive for the Ravens cap. So they would use that. What they did last year was they used void years. So uh, if you got a million dollar salary and a five million dollar bonus uh, on a straight deal, that would be a six million dollar cap hit. And again, that was too prohibitive. So what they did is if they added four void years, so it was a one year contract with four void years, that five million dollar bonus would technically count a million dollars each of those five years. So what that does is that would have made the cap number $2 million, a million dollar salary, and the first year bonus proration of a million. So instead of six, that player would have only counted $2 million on the cap. Um, what happens, though, with void years and what's about to happen, certainly I'm sure with some of these, uh, is that when the, when the contract voids, then the other four years accelerate into the present cap so that would be the 24 the 2024 cap and in that scenario from that deal that remaining four million dollars would count as dead money against the cap of this year so there are five players that have void years uh remaining they they got rid of beckham's uh when they redid his deal which gave them a little more time to work around that and they got rid of um, uh, Michael Pierce's when they signed him to the extension. So the, guy, the five guys with void years are Nelson Aguilar, uh, Gus Edwards, uh, Gino Stone, Rock Yassin, and Kevin Zeitler. Um, so if those guys, if, if all of those contracts void, uh, and I've already calculated this into my numbers as if they're voiding, um, okay. that would be, uh, that's nine point nine seven million it's just under ten um 
So that now that's already calculated in because they have no salary for this year. So we just include the void years. And now if they now if that player extends, going back to that that player, the six million dollar deal, and so there's a million dollar proration each year. So if that player were to sign a four year uh, a four year deal as of well before this coming Monday, then those million dollars stay in place each year. So the proration stay for each year. And that million dollars just gets added to the new player's cap number, and that would be then be the player's cap number. So Zeitler is the one is the big one because his um, his his void years are about four point six million dollars. Um, so uh, they would ideally want to reach an extension with him, and then that four point six is about one point one something per would stay on the stay on the 24 cap at 1.1 something. And then whatever his new cap number for this coming year would be added on top of that. Um, so it still might be more than the, the four something, the 4.6, uh, but it's um, you've retained the player. <laughs> As, and Zeitler certainly a guy you would think they'd want to retain. So I think of those five guys, um, Geno Stone, he's going to hit the free agent market, and his is his is the my, the most minor of the of the five. So that's going to happen. But I think if they if they're going to get an extension with somebody, um, the ones certainly Zeitler, uh, Aguilar, probably the top two. Gus Edwards, it, it's not going to be the end of the world. It's about I think he's about one point six in dead money. So you'd still like to have him around. Um, but I, I, he's, he seems like a guy who's going to have to hit the market to figure out his value. And I think Rock Yassin is, unless he's coming back on a minimum deal, he's gone one way or another too. So, so it'll be interesting to see, but, um, if they want to get those guys done, um, then that would, it would behoove them to get them done before then. Now they can still sign them after that, but that, that void, those void years have already accelerated. So it will be the new cap number on top of the void years money as opposed to being able to keep those uh prorate those void year prorations um continuing to extend in the future right in the case of like zeitler where he's got the would you say 4.26 or something like that uh yeah i think it's 4.26 yeah okay so he's got that's that's the cap hit if nothing happens before monday february 19th but do you think that the agents for a guy like zeitler are using that against the ravens in their negotiations Oh, sure. Oh, no doubt. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, you wouldn't be a good agent if you didn't. That's part of your leverage is, hey, you got to get a deal done. We'll be happy to sign after that. But if his first year cap number is going to be $6 million, then you're going to have to carry him at 10.26 as opposed to, uh, you know, 7.12, you know, whatever it might be, um, you know, if it is going to be $6 million on the new number. So, um, yeah, I mean, and uh, so they're definitely going to use that. Um, now, Zeitler certainly sounded like he wanted to stay. Um, I was surprised when they redid his deal last year. and All they did was add void years to it, and they restructured it. And he didn't get any extra money, but they just added the void years so they could spread uh, the restructure out. I thought that would have been the perfect time to give him what I always called the Marshall Yonda treatment, where they would uh, Yonder would get to the last year of his deal and they'd add another year or two. Um, but I, I guess that it, maybe at that point, Steitler wasn't sure if he might return or retire and they didn't want to give him a new deal with a big bonus and then have him retire on him. 
but certainly, you know, the, at the end of the year, he sounded like a guy who wants to come back. Is his first taste of playoff football, um, which is kind of crazy that he's been in the league for what ten years and it's his first taste. Um, so, um, you know, so I think that uh, they definitely would, or maybe it was his first win. I, but I think it was his first. I think it was his first playoffs. Uh, but yeah, so that's something they. Uh, they 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 really w- would want to get done if they want to retain him because like I said the num- it just makes the numbers worse if you don't get it done but obviously it takes two to tango and if his agent says well we want to be a free agent then there's nothing you can do about it right any other dates I know the franchise tag window is coming up talk about that a little bit yeah so the franchise tag window I believe starts on the twentieth um, so that would be next Tuesday that's a two week period. Uh, most teams don't tag their guys till right before the deadline, um, yeah, because you you once you slap the tag on, it seems like in most cases the um, the negotiations kind of stop. Um, so um, you want to kind of keep negotiating, and you want to you, you want to use that. That's the team's hammer. In that case, is look, you're not going anywhere. We'll tag if we have to, but let's get something done we all can be happy with before then. Uh, but if we don't get it done, then we're going to tag you. And, you know, that long-term, um, you know, um, security of the long-term deal uh, certainly has some ring to it. Uh, so that's something that, uh, you know, if they, if they do end up tagging Matabike, I would expect that not to happen till what, March 8th or 9th or something like that, or even maybe even a little earlier than that, but early March, but certainly not over the next couple of weeks. So any, anything else, any other dates coming up before we get to our next podcast, which will be next Wednesday? No, no, that, those are the two dates. Um, and yeah, those two things will have, have passed. Well, I mean, the franchise window will start it, but the, uh, the void, uh, the void uh, deadline will, uh, will have passed by then. So um, yeah, those are the only two dates at this point. Um, obviously NFL combine coming up, things like that. But as far as from a salary cap perspective, um, that's, you know, that, that's where they are. All right. Well, that's it for the front office today, Brian. I will be back again, as we said, next Wednesday, we'll bring along a guest as well. I I know Brian's got a couple of guys he wants to bring in and and we've got a couple of media guys that are interested in joining us on the podcast. So we'll we'll have somebody next week. So thanks to all who have listened and special thanks to Royal Farms without whom this podcast is not possible. Please support the good folks at Royal Farms, real fresh, real fast. Until next time, do what you love, love what you do.